Hello, I'm Graham Hall and welcome to my new podcast. You might know me as the dog father. I've been working with dogs for over a decade, since 2008, after a radical career change. But more on that later on. For the last few years, I've been telling my dog training stories on dogs behaving very badly on television. And now I'm bringing even more of my stories to you directly on this podcast. Off the back of the series, people often email me with questions or for advice about a certain subject. So inspired by those questions, this is a chance for me to share the answers and hopefully you get a bit of entertainment along the way. Well, it goes without saying that that I love dogs, but I also love dog people because they all love their dogs, of course. But a lot of them have a sense of humour. People name their dogs in funny ways, like the dog that was called Judy, because she was named after Judy Garland from The Wizard of Oz, and this chap used to um, take his dog for a walk, singing, we're off to meet the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. He was an accountant, a retired accountant. Only dogs can do that to people. But my very, very favourite dog name ever was Taxi, which is a slightly odd name for a dog. Uh, and it was a black Labrador. And I said to the owner, how come Taxi then? Are you a, are you, are you a cab driver? Or No, 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 I'm not a taxi driver, no. So and I went, OK, well, it's, it's a good name. Two syllables, by the way, is always good because it doesn't sound like anything else, you know. They don't get confused with other words, those kind of sounds, you know. Taxi, I mean, it's quite clear, isn't it? So I said, so why, why call your dog Taxi? And he said, well... I just like the idea that um, I can watch the looks on the faces of people when I'm stood in the middle of a field, in the middle of nowhere, and I shout, Taxi! And what arrives ain't a black cab, it's a black lab. <laughs> Later on, I'm going to be giving advice on one of the questions I get asked about a lot at the moment. How to stop your dogs from barking and disturbing you when working from home. Surprise, surprise. Also, I'll explore the debate about what's best for your dog, a collar or a harness. But first, I thought you might be interested to hear about one of the biggest challenges I've faced in my dog training career and the knowledge I'd picked up to solve it from the other side of the world. Well, the story starts in 2012. Um, I, I went to Australia on holiday, but I also thought, well, while I was there, I might learn a thing or two about dog behaviour. I kind of do wherever I go. Um, and while I was there, I went to a place called Fraser Island, which is just off the coast of Queensland. It's a big sand island, and it's, it's famous, amongst other things, for having um, a population of dingoes that haven't really interbred so much with the outside world because there aren't any pet dogs on the island. So it was a good chance to, to study dingo behaviour. Now, the reason that's significant is that dingoes, are, they're not pet dogs, uh, domestic dogs, but they're not wolves either. They're kind of halfway developed between the two. Um, it's believed that the first dingoes came to Australia something like three and a half thousand years ago. So they're not where dogs came from originally, but they're not domestic dogs now. So anything that dingoes do might give us a bit of light as to you know what's going on with with our pet dogs or not as the case may be so while i was there i met an indigenous australian guy who was also a park ranger uh, and he knew loads about dingoes so he said if you're um if you're out about on the tracks basically yeah you're not going to see a dingo um they'll see you you won't see them because they're um they're kind of all around and they're not that keen on humans but if if you do bump into one uh, you're in big trouble and um 
the thing about dingoes is they're a sort of medium-sized dog, you might say, but they can take down a kangaroo uh, or cattle, so no problem doing a lot of damage to a human. Um, and, and he described something that I've taken on with me ever since. He said, if you're in that situation where there's a dingo in front of you, perhaps there are pups in the area and they're, they're trying to warn you off, uh, you're in grave danger, so don't take your eyes off the dingo whatever you do. And that kind of surprised me because what I'd been taught in the past was you'd never stare out an aggressive dog. So I said, well, okay, so so you've got to stare at them then. And he said, no, 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 goodness sake, no, don't stare. If you stare, they'll attack because you, they'll think you're being aggressive and they've backed themselves into a corner psychologically, come out forward. So, okay, so what happens if I look behind then? He said, well, if you look back, <laughs> if you look away, they think you're weak and they'll come and attack. And well, let me get this straight. So if I... If I stare at them, I get attacked. And if I look away, I get attacked. I'm on a loser here. And he said, no, what you need to do is just gaze at them. Right? So look in their direction, look at them, but don't come forwards. If you come forwards and you stare, then you're going to force them into something. If you go backwards, you look away at a sign of weakness, they'll probably attack. So you've just got to stand your ground. Don't move, take your time, and just hold that gaze. Well, it had happened to him the previous summer and he'd had a chance to, to put this into action because I think it's something that his people have been doing since forever, really. Um, but there he was walking along with a friend and there was a dingo in front. So they went back to back with each other because if there's one dingo in front of you, the chances are there's another one somewhere else. Um, and he said it took for what seemed like forever, but he stood his ground. He didn't take his eyes off the dingo, didn't stare, didn't look away. And eventually she actually came up to him, he said. And then she did something that I, I really can't explain. Um, she licked my leg, my calf, and she ran off into the into the forest. Um, I said, funnily enough, I can explain that. that, that that's a submission thing. That's kind of like, uh, OK, then. Um, so that was good. So he, he, <laughs> he got away with it. So I think it's really interesting. What I took from that was that there are certainly times when you're in front of a dog or any other animal, perhaps, that could be aggressive. Um, if you rush forward or, indeed, if you just stare, that can be a problem. So certainly staring out an aggressive dog is an issue. Also looking behind, looking away, is a sign of weakness, and that can provoke an attack as well. So you're kind of stuck. Um, take your time, stand your ground, and don't take your eyes off was very much the message. Now... At that point, I knew it worked with dingoes. I hadn't done it for myself, but I certainly believe this guy. Um, but I didn't know for sure whether that would work with domestic dogs because they are very different. So I came back to the UK and I went back to, to my day job, um, visiting people and doing one-to-one -one consultations with their dogs. And the first time I had an opportunity to put it into place uh, was a Rottweiler. And... Uh, it was quite interesting because I, I had Rottweilers at the time. I'm a big fan of Rotties. They're a lovely breed. But when it goes wrong with a Rotty, it goes wrong in a big way. And they are very scary. The message I got through was that there was a family in North London who had this dog who essentially wouldn't let visitors into the house. And he was also pretty bad outside too. So I arrived, uh, imagine the scene, there I am in Edgeware, knocking on the door of a house, and the sound that came from behind the door was like a, like a rabid animal from hell. Um, it was really scary, but I knew the dog was on muzzle, and there was definitely a time for a muzzle, and this was it, because um, we'd prearranged it. 
So um, the door opened. He said, "Are you ready?" Yeah, I came in, and and the dog dog was in a side room. So we let the dog out, and uh, and he, he he ran up to me, um, barking like crazy, and he was not happy. I was in his house. He definitely wanted me to go, to say the least. Um, and he ran at me a couple of times. Two, three times I counted, he bounced off my hip with his muzzle. I mean, that would have been a proper bite. I'd have been on my way to hospital. Um, but because of the muzzle, it meant that I could I could practice what I now call the dingo technique. So I stood there um, and looked at him, didn't take my eyes off him, um, and I did my best to not look scared, um, which is easier said than done, it's got to be said. Um, and he tried his best and he kept going, and you could begin to feel that he'd gone for and all that business it's like, and it was a dog way of saying this isn't working there's something wrong with this guy because <laughs> nobody nobody doesn't listen to me it, it was just as though somebody just punched the big fella in the in the pub who's being aggressive smack on in the mouth and he just shook it off and went uh, in that manner that suggests is that the best you can do so so this this dog started to look at me in a different light and I noticed that he was—he wasn't now paying 100% of his attention on me. He kept looking at his bed, so he went from his bed to back again, and then back to me, still barking. Uh, but then the barks went less and less, and then eventually he toddled himself off to his bed, um, and he sat there and just did a big harumph. Yeah, it really was. I don't know where you've come from. <laughs> now at that point, if I'd have gone to him in his bed and tried to stroke him, it wouldn't have worked. We'd have been back to square one. It took me about an hour, but eventually he did approach. I was able to stroke him um, uh, without staring at him, I should add. Um, and it got better from, from there on. We went for a walk around Edgeware Berry Park, actually, um, and, and had a really good time. It, it, I remember at the end of that consultation, somebody saying he's like a different dog uh, and that's just the best thing when you hear it so what i learned from australia was that these dingoes that are kind of dogs but kind of not domestic dogs really follow a pattern that lots of animals do which is if you push them too far um, they feel threatened and they're likely to come out fighting and pushing too far can include staring but if you back off, you're in trouble as well. So somewhere in between is where it lies. And that's what I now call the dingo technique. Well, my trip to Australia was in 2012. So that was a few years into my dog training career. But I hadn't always done this job. Um, in, in fact, um, I, I left university in the in the 80s um, with a degree in Hispanic studies, Spanish, um, and then went to work for a company called Weetabix. And uh, if you're in the UK, you'll, um, you'll know what Weetabix is. It's a breakfast cereal brand. So I made your breakfast for 21 years. So I worked my way up. And um, by the time I, I left, I was pretty senior there. But I, I was going to go into um, management consultancy, really. So I took three months out because I thought, well, I'll never get a chance of doing that again. So I had one and then another young Rottweiler. I thought, you know, this is a pretty serious uh, proposition, Rottweiler. He's got to be absolutely impeccable. So I learned everything I could about it, and I started going to um, a dog training club um, quite a lot in those three months off. and uh, did more and more. And towards the end of it, the guy who was the, um, the head trainer there, um, asked me a question because he knew about the three months. He said, what are you going to do? Uh, and I said, oh, I'm going to be a management consultant. And he said, what do you, uh, you want to do that for? Because you've, you've kind of done that all your life, haven't you? And I said, well, I have. It's what I know, you know. Um, and he said, um, look, why don't you be 
a dog trainer, um, which was an interesting question. And uh, and if I'm honest, what I thought was um, that's probably a bit beneath me. <laughs> I didn't say that. What I said was, well, that's that's interesting. Why do you say that? Um, and he said something which actually changed the course of my life. He said, I think you should be a dog trainer because you're good with people. Now, that really kind of got me. I thought, what about dogs then? He said, no, you're fine with dogs. You're very good with dogs. But um, but you're also good at explaining it to people. And not everybody has both those sides. In fact, it's quite rare. So you're good with dogs and you're good with people. You can explain it. I think you should think about being a dog trainer. So I drove back, and that was in Birmingham, and I lived in Northampton at the time. So I drove back in my old Land Rover Defender along the M6. Now, if you've ever driven a Defender uh, on a motorway, you'll know that it gives you an awful lot of time to think about things. <laughs> so I thought about his proposition. I thought, yeah, dog training, yeah, maybe. So when I got home, I went on the internet, I had a look at a few websites, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I could do that. I could do a really good job of that, I think. Um, so I'd, I'd set myself up. Um, all I needed was a name. Um, so the question that I'm often asked is, where did the dog father name come from? Well, the answer to that is um, I was I was sat, I'd been walking my dogs and got back, put them in the back of the Land Rover. And I was sat there um, about to leave this place, which was the local beauty spot where everybody walks the dogs, you know. And uh, this lady turned up in an old estate car. And uh, on the side of it, on the back panel, uh, it said her name and the dog mother in two separate words. And I think she sort of took dogs in, did a bit of dog walking, that kind of thing. Uh, and I thought, dog mother, oh, that's good. Uh, and I thought it'd be even better if it was one word, dog mother, like godmother. Um, and bingo, dog father, the dog father. Um, but it's got to be one word because obviously it's a pun on godfather. So, haha, <laughs> the dog father. That's where the name dog father came from. It was kind of by accident. So, so if the lady's still out there um, driving around in a, a car with dog mother on, on the back, I, I, I owe her a drink, I think. So I started to do classes. And the, the first session running a training class, I found a place. I got myself registered with the Kennel Club and all that good stuff. The, the first evening came. There I was in front of uh, eight people um, and, or most of the point, eight puppy dogs, right? So so off we go. I thought, well, this is okay because I'd spoken to groups of people. You know, this wasn't going to phase me. Um, done it all before, except for one thing. What never happened in any of my talks at work was that the, the delegates decided to, um, well, basically go to the toilet in the middle of the class <laughs> so I'm trying to talk and then there's one and the thing about puppies is when one starts they all start so there's a little bit of well we let's say they do a bit of that before you know it somebody's done a number two I'm like I wasn't prepared for this this never happened at Weetabix so so that was classes um, and then from the start, I also offered one-to-one -one training. I think classes are fine. It means you can help lots of people at the same time. The cost is less, of course. Um, but there is nothing like going along, seeing the real problem in the real place. Um, and the very first one I did... I'll never forget, um, the phone rang. I'd put a little classifying advert in the local paper, right? It was about the size of a postage stamp. And somebody called and said, oh, is that the dog trainer? Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Not that I really was at that point, but I kind of was about to be. Um, and they had a German Shepherd dog. And the problem was that when they walked him, he was OK in the daytime. But when it got dark, this other side came out. And that's often the case with some dogs because they, they're a bit more on tenterhooks when it's dark, a bit more on edge. So... We really had to do the one-to-one -one, um, 
uh, in this case it was in the evening um, and it was freezing cold because it was late November uh, and we were in the Eastern District of Northampton with this 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 lovely couple at the German Shepherd and every time we had to stop to talk we had to find a lamppost to talk underneath and uh, um, and it went well um, we, we got quite a good result but that was the very first one a German Shepherd dog in the freezing cold in Northampton stood under a lamppost My inbox is often full of people who approach me for advice and it's amazing how often variations of the same question are asked. The first thing to say is that I can't answer everybody individually these days. It's just not possible. Um, But in a podcast, it's great because I can answer a lot of these themes that come up um, and, and answer lots of people at the same time. So right now, it's all about dogs and people working from home. Well, more to the point, people working from home and dogs trying to stop them. We're all working from home. We're doing things that we've never done before. We're on a on a video call with the boss and the dog's barking. So how can I stop my dog barking? Well, let me tell you about somebody who, who works with a dog all the time and he very rarely barks. Um, and it's a friend of mine who's actually a radio presenter um, and he takes his little dog into the studio with him all the time and has done for years now. Um He wasn't always perfect. Um, In fact, one day he pulled at one of the plugs on the floor where a cable goes into the floor and took the whole radio station off air. That was a bit of a bit of a problem. Um, But he and he's not the quietest dog outside necessarily, but he knows when he's in the studio, he's got to be quiet. And that's because when he was little, dad rewarded him for being quiet a lot so when he was quiet you get a little tidbit and he still does now so often the thing is when a guest comes into the studio you give him give him a treat for being quiet so one of the first things that you can do when you've got a dog barking problem is not to focus on the barking focus on the quiet bit we usually forget to reward dogs when they're good and particularly with barking Quiet means that they fall off the radar. So we're working away, answering that email and all the rest of it. The dog's been really good and nobody is thanking him for being good. Nobody's taking the time. If you do praise a dog for being quiet, you need to do that in a gentle way. Okay, so a lot of a lot of sort of dog training is based around using lots of excitement in your voice, all that whoopie doo stuff. Well, that's the last thing you need right now. You need a calm dog, and you need to praise them. Guess what? In a calm way. So your voice needs to be like this, more like, "Good boy, that's very nice. Oh, good lad." And in doing that, you're effectively saying, "Oh, I love it when you're quiet." So. If you've got a dog that's motivated by treats, you can certainly give them a treat or two when they're quiet, but get your timing right. The common mistake is that as they're barking, that's in effect when we end up rewarding them. So they're barking, we're trying to offer them a treat, go, come on, oh, yeah, just, just, just be quiet for goodness sake, the boss is on the Zoom call. So the dog starts to make a connection. Oh, right, so I bark, I get stuff. I bark, I get stuff. And that happens quite a lot. So if he's barking... Just think about, do I reward the barking or do I reward the quiet part? There are loads of evergreen debates that go on in the dog-owning world. One of the thorniest um, is whether or not you should use a collar or a harness on your dog. So it's a question I'm often asked. Um, Okay, Graham, what should I use, collar or harness? And I don't think it's quite that simple. It's sort of horses for courses. Um, 
it, those of you who've seen me on uh, Dogs Behaving Very Badly on the telly, um, if you've if you've followed it right through, you'll have seen me take a harness off a dog and put a collar on instead. And you'll also see me um, actually give somebody a different kind of harness and use a harness. So why, why would that be? Um, well, let's look at the two things. There are pros and cons, as I said. Um, collar, what's what's in, in, in favour, you might say, of a, of a collar? Well, because it's if you put it on in the right way, fairly high up on the neck, just behind the, uh, the, the head, you're a long way from the chest muscles which is where their center of power is um so with the harness uh, in in contrast they can really put their chest into it and and pull like crazy and you know should remember that dogs that pull sleds for a living in places like alaska they're always on a harness um they, they wouldn't be using a and a collar because it would be choking them so the collar is useful um if you if you want to sort of reduce pulling but only if you use it in the right way i think there's been quite a bit of debate in the media fairly recently about um people just just yanking away on a collar really hard and that absolutely could could damage the dog's neck so a harness in that sense is a safe bet but the downside is it's likely to give the dog the power when it comes to pulling you the trick as ever is how you use it the other thing to add is that some dogs have a difficulty breathing. So those those um, dogs with, with short uh, noses that have been particularly bred pugs from French Bulldog spring to mind, they're not the only ones. Um, if, if you take a dog that struggles to breathe anyway on a particularly hot day, let's say, and you've got a collar on, there's the, even the slightest bit of tension on the neck, then that's clearly going to be a problem. So you might be, well, stuck with using a harness, you can get harnesses that attach at the front. So rather than on the back, um, then if you attach it on the front, you've got a little bit of direction. You can you can lead the dog in the right way. It's called a front pull harness. So it's one of those things. It, I started by saying it's an evergreen debate, this one, and it is a debate. I think there is no right or wrong answer. There are certainly things you shouldn't be doing, like yanking heavily on a collar, that's for sure. But I don't think um, you can ever say um, a collar is always right or a harness is always right. You really have to think about the factors. It's very much weighing up the pros and cons. So think about... Um, you know, am I going to be damaging this dog? Uh, do they have a particular problem breathing or another weakness in, in perhaps the track here, the windpipe? Um, is this a powerful dog that's going to pull me off my feet if I've got a harness on him? It's just taking it on a case-by-case -case basis. It's one of those. Well, as they used to say on all the cartoons, that's all, folks. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed spending some time with me and my stories. There's lots more where this came from, and I hope to share more of those stories with you soon. Look after yourself and those around you, including, of course, your dogs. Bye for now. <laughs>